idea of fourth advent and the idea of peace, the prince of peace coming. Today's a big one. I'm going to watch the clock today. i got way too much stuff. But you're used to that now. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it's good. The idea of the fourth advent, peace, I'm going to start with my ponderings first. I have a, f- a few ponderings, but there's a bit of a theme here um, that I think is important, especially as we begin this Christmas season, not the beginning, but it's getting really close to the time where people are going to be huddling and there's going to be awkward silences and so on. So this was posted, and I, uh, you know who you are who posted it, but I thought it was really good. So sending love to the people battling mental illness during the holidays, the people who feel lonely during the holidays, the people who are caregivers to someone who's ill, the people who struggle to afford a holiday celebration, the people who are grieving a loss during the holidays, and the people who are spending the holidays with people who aren't supportive That's a big one that we need to remember. It's easy to get focused on our own little joyful journey, or maybe it's not. But there's a lot more going on than you may realize. And I love this one, too. This is called Out of My Control. Um, Out of your control is the past, algorithms, other people's behaviors and beliefs, the future, the media, other people's opinion of me. They are not in your control. Really important to remember that. What is in your control is your self-talk, how you see yourself, how you believe about who you are, your energy, your words, who you follow on social media. You may need to unfollow or delete or block people just to get your, uh, keep your mind straight. Your self-care is what you have control over. Your boundaries, your responses, what you consume, your attitude, and uh, how you work on yourself. And I think that that's going to be really important to be reminded. We don't, when we, we don't do series on mental health per se, but mental health fits into everything we teach, everything we believe, because we believe that what we believe is what comes out, all right? Our behavior is a response to what we're thinking about or what we're pondering or what's constantly churning in our minds. This last one on the same topic, if you can't change a situation, change your perception of it. Remember, most of your stress comes from the way you respond not the way life is. That's a tough reminder. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll leave that there. Um, this is one's on grief. It's really good. Clearly, we grieve the person we lost. What many don't understand is that is only part of it. We grieve what we had and all we shared. We grieve all the important things they have missed and will miss. We grieve the future we were supposed to have together. This list goes on. Grief is complicated. And I know at special times of the year, grief is a big deal. And we sometimes don't allow people to grieve. And if you know someone who's lost a loved one, don't be afraid to mention their name. All right? Sometimes you think, well, if I say it, I might trigger more emotions. Well, then trigger. Because this is about their memory staying alive. And they may want to hear you say their name. What is uncertain is, is not the coming of Christ, but our own reception of him, our own response to him, our own readiness and capacity to go forth and meet him. Thomas Burton wrote that, and I thought, that's really cool because we keep talking about this come and worship, come, Lord Jesus, Jesus has come, and good, but is your heart ready to receive what that love looks like? Last one, I think. The peace you lack, and this is a harsh one, but it's good. The peace you lack is not with God, but with yourself. 
You are not separated from God. That one's really important, by the way. You are separated from you. Your challenge is not overcoming your original badness, but staking claim to your original goodness. And how do I know this is true? How many times have we taught you are a new creation? That is your origin. Okay? You're not separated. You're separated in your mind from connecting those two things. And I think the way Jim wrote that, I thought was really, really important for us. Since today, the advent of peace. An unwed woman who carries God, oh sorry, it's an unwed woman who carries God. It's the pagans from the east who recognize God. It's the workers of the fields who hear from God. It's the marginalized neighborhood who welcomes God. It's God who chooses the lowly and the broken to rise. Christmas is here. Let hope in. And last week we talked about the kings, the wise men, not kings, the wise men, the magi who came, and how they were not necessarily Jewish, but they had a different background, and the people of Israel didn't get it. Um, this is a, a devotional from Henry Now, but I, once I'm done that, I have a, a small reflection from how certain animals fit into this story and how the church incorporated it, and I thought it was really good, connected to the thing I just read. But the divine word of hope, a small child of Bethlehem, the unknown young man of Nazareth, the rejected preacher, the naked man on the cross. He asks for my full attention. The work of our salvation takes place in the midst of a world that continues to shout, scream, and overwhelm us with its claims and promises. But the promise is hidden in the shoot that sprouts from the stump, a shoot that hardly anyone notices. I remember seeing a film, this is Henry Nowen writing this, I remember seeing a film on the human misery and the devastation brought by the bomb on Hiroshima. Among all the scenes of terror and despair emerged one image of a man quietly writing a word in calligraphy. All his attention was directed to writing that one word. That image made this gruesome film a hopeful film. Isn't that what God is doing? Writing the divine word of hope in the midst of our dark world? Open your eyes to see the hope that is there. It may be hard. It might be even impossible, but maybe somebody else will come into your life and point your eyes towards that or, or remove the shutters that are preventing you from seeing that. I thought that was really good. All right. This is a, a video I'd like to share first before we get into this. This is really, really good. Um, Drew, will you hit play? Kids are going to like this one. If your church has been around long enough, they've probably got one of these hanging on their wall somewhere. It's a painting of a shepherd and a sheep. Well, lots of sheep. Uh, beautiful green pastures, still waters. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It, it's all of that. But have you ever tried to steer a sheep? All right, time for dinner. Come back. No, it's okay. You guys, wait. We're friends. Why do you run? Hey, don't get smart out with me, all right? All right, someone's getting the shears. And if I'm to be honest, sheep, they're dumb. I don't know if you've heard. No, they're just not as smart as other animals. No, they're dumb. Like walk off a cliff just because it's there, dumb. 
All right, do you want me to take you out to pasture? Because I will take you out to pasture. No, no, come back. Karen! No, Karen! Over here, over here. Goodness gracious, they're just stubborn. Skittish, too. Fearful little things. Oh, don't be like that. Do you want me to get the shepherd's hook? Do you want me to get the shepherd's hook? Hey, hey, I'm the one that feeds you. Hey, don't ignore me. I think I get kids ministry now. <laughs> Fine. I love you. You ever wondered why Jesus called us a sheep? Kind of a bitter pill to swallow, huh? But if we were to closely examine our lives, look at all the messes that we make, how fearful we are, how fickle and wayward we can, well, if I can just put it bluntly, how dumb we can be, we are sheep. Yeah, sheep. That's about right. <laughs> But thankfully, God sent us a good shepherd, someone who will be gentle with us when we are far from home, someone who will be firm when he needs to be. Doesn't it say everything that God picked shepherds to send the good news of Jesus' birth? And that right there should remind us of his shepherd in ways right off the bat. That first Christmas, it was a sign of peace with God for all eternity. And our shepherd, he paid the price for that peace, the highest price. I don't know about you, but this Christmas, it means so much to me that I have a good shepherd. to the puppy more than what was being said, I know. <laughs> that was awesome. The tradition of the ox and ass, yes, I said that word, in the manger scene goes back to the early church, at least as far as origin, about A.D. 184 to 253. In his 13th homily on the Gospel of Luke, Origen finds great significance in the manger relation to Isaiah 1, verse 3. This is important. I never saw this before. I thought it was really cool that this is how far back the church leaders saw this connection. That was the manger of which the inspired prophet said, the ox knows his owner and the ass his master's manger. The ox is a clean animal. The ass, an unclean animal. <laughs> the ass knows his master's manger. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Inside voice. Okay. The, <laughs> the ass knows his master's manger. The people of Israel did not know their Lord's manger. But an unclean animal from among the Gentiles did. The scriptures say, Israel indeed did not know me, and my people did not understand me. 
Let us understand the manger. Let us endeavor to recognize the Lord and to be worthy of knowing him and of taking on not only his birth and the resurrection of his flesh, but also his celebrated second coming in majesty to whom is glory and power for ages and ages. Amen. There's a reference where that's from. That's a really old writing. I know as a kid, anytime somebody used the word ass in church, we just laughed. It was great. Yeah, still do. Still do. I know. But Psalm 23 brings us to this. This scene, the manger scene, however it's written, nobody really knows. Nobody knows what animals were there. It's all an assumption. We just don't. But sheep are part of the story. And Psalm 23 is a beloved psalm, and I... I don't think I've ever tied Psalm 23 to Christmas before. But since the angels came to shepherds, the great shepherd sends someone to proclaim really good news. I think we need more proclamation of really good news. There's too much bad news. Bad news that sounds like if you do this, then maybe that can happen. If you, then maybe. If you say this prayer, then maybe God will let you in. But if you misbehave, then you're out again. And it's a real revolving door. There's no peace in that. The peace is recognizing our union with Christ and how the great shepherd guides us. Just like we heard in that little video clip, sheep are one of the dumbest animals in any farm. They just are. They get in trouble a lot. They're picky eaters. They need a comfy place, and then they go to sleep. It's very much like parenting. (laughs) It just is. But there's some things in this Psalm 23 that are really important. And David recognizes all the care that has to go into shepherding. And I think that's where his leadership skills were first developed as a shepherd. The job nobody wanted. And he learned his heavenly father took care of all of his needs. So he writes this song, psalm, poem from the lens and perspective of a sheep. Yes, it's traditional. And no, I can't come up with extra really cool, wow, Christmas stuff you've never heard before. I'm just not that smart. But I am inspired by this. Let me read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll walk through it slowly as we have time. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> you welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house the Lord forever. This is from the New Living Translation. It's, it's my favorite. I know the traditional KJV is nice and has nostalgia to it. This one's translated, I think, more accurately in a sense in some places. 
But let's walk through this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. As a shepherd, you got to take care of all the needs of the sheep. The sheep are not going to go looking for food. Right? So David notices this, but also recognizes his heavenly father has provided all of his needs. But he recognizes who his heavenly father is. This is about identity. Do you know who you are? David recognizes who his shepherd is, his heavenly father. The Lord is my shepherd. Who's yours? Do you recognize your shepherd, the one who guides you in your thinking or nudging or sometimes a shove, (laughs) whatever is needed sometimes? (laughs) I have everything I need. And that makes us question, what is it we need? Well, we got a lot of wants. We have a long list of wants. And what a time of year to talk about wants. But I have everything I need. That's different. There's a sense of contentment here. Something we lack in our society. He lets me rest in green meadows. And why is that so important? Well, first of all, goats will eat anything, including your socks. All right? Sheep are picky, picky eaters. They only want the good stuff. And the shepherd knows that in order for their coat to come in properly so they can be sheared and all that wool comes through, they need good food, but after they eat, they must rest and no better place. And they won't rest until they've had their food. So that means you're well-fed and able to rest in a place of peace. As parents, we do this for our kids. We actually buy them a bed I know, what are we thinking? Giving them a place to rest that's comfy. (laughs) It's good for them. Not everybody has one. But there's a tenderness there. If you think about it, I never saw the connection to us getting a bed or a crib for our kid like this. But it's there. He leads me beside peaceful streams. This is also important because sheep are really afraid of almost everything, but especially rushing water. If it's too turbulent, they won't go up to the water and drink a single drop. They're also top heavy if they get wet. So they'll likely drown. So the sheep won't go near, they have this instinct. But the shepherd knows they need to be watered. So they'll carve out a small dam, create a gentle pool of water, calm water. You've seen kids on the beach when they build a sandcastle and then they want water to come around the moat so they drag or drudge up this this thing so the waves will shoot the water up to their moat. Anybody do that? I I did. Same thing. The shepherd does that for the sheep so they can have a drink away from the danger. That's how much care is going into this. That's how much care your parents gave you. And likely you will give your children the same way. We need to be thankful. We need to have contentment there. He renews my strength. This is is overlooked a lot. It is Jesus who is our source. Sometimes we think Jesus is our helper, meaning external, but we never see Jesus as one with us, being the nuclear power plant or fusion, what's that new thing that they're coming up with? It's, uh, whatever, it's inside power. We think it's always external. 
But as soon as you get rid of that separated mindset and recognize the powerhouses in you, as you, with you, union with you, that's where your strength comes from, not from you trying to incorporate strength. We're talking mental, sometimes physical. That's important to know your source. He guides me along right paths. Parents do their best to guide, to instruct. Sometimes it comes out really harsh, as it did in my family, many European families and others. There are moments of harshness, and sometimes there are long patterns of it. I saw a meme not too long ago that said, um, kids, or adult kids, when you watched your parents raise you, they were still learning too. And we're still learning. Nobody has the manual for parenting. Definitely not James Dobson. (laughs) He's the most popular parenting book guy. But anyway, no book can do that. Really good role models. We recognize the ones that are good. We also clearly recognize the ones that are not. But there's a guide The guide comes from being modeled or being told. Yeah, some parents will say, do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) But most often there's a heart of gentleness involved there. And at some point, there's a stage where you gotta now take those lessons that you've learned and learn to practice them because clearly you're not listening to your parents anymore. And who knows, there's a whole bunch of stuff connected to that. But the guide has been there and is still there for you and me. The Holy Spirit is our guide and our direction. Brings honor to his name. Hmm. What does that mean? Bringing honor to his name. Does it mean if your kids turn out well, then they honor you? No. That's a bonus but you don't relate the two. There's too much guilt that parents carry. So, oh, my kid didn't turn out the way I, I, I was told. I was told in church that train up a child and they will go and they'll follow the Lord eventually, right? How many have sworn by that and go, yeah, yeah, I claim that. Well, stop the claiming thing. It doesn't work. That means you have a magic wand to make people do things and you don't. The Holy Spirit is their guide, not you. How many of us have come to a revelation of good news in the last couple years, last 10 years, last 20 years? How many times have we had awakenings of, whoa, I didn't know this about God, and it made God bigger and better? And it's like now you're excited in a whole new way. Who taught you that? Your parents? No. The Holy Spirit. They may have told you this, and their parents are going, I told you that one already. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Unbelievable. But the honor, this is like living the life of Christ. And as we honor ourselves because we recognize our union, that honors God. Otherwise, it's performance-based Acceptance. Don't mix that up. I'm really serious. That's a, that's a big one. 
Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. The valley of death, it's not a dead end. I always had this thing pictured, the valley of death. And that's where we stop, right? Like death, it's, oh, that we're, okay, your time's coming, valley of death. And we do that psalm, we read that at funerals or when somebody's dying. Well, that's really encouraging. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Obviously, you don't have a lot of hope. But this is not about the actual event of death, per se. It can. But it's a valley. We are going to experience death around us. On this side of creation, until these earth suits give out, only then will we experience a life that's very different and we can't even understand it. But we go through difficult times and it feels like death. But guess who's walking with you? And many are afraid right now, mostly because they're not recognizing the presence of Christ in you and with you, around you, through you. Nor are you recognizing Christ in what is going terribly wrong. God is not absent from any of this. He's also not a manipulator, control freak. It's close beside us. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Unlike what I grew up with, the rod and staff are to smack you around and beat you into submission. That's what I grew up with. The rod was never used to hit the sheep. Even that joking, oh, I'm going to get that staff on you. <laughs> it was funny. But the staff is actually for guiding, directing and looping and uh, if a wayward sheep is a, trying to get away, that little crook goes around the neck and it pulls them back. It's not to smack them. Your God is not a violent God. No matter what you've been taught, and believe me, that's one of the hardest things for me to unlearn. I've still not arrived, but I'm unlearning it, and it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's drawing me into the love of God like it's, I've never been drawn into before. Brad Jerzek is... And Baxter Kruger are the two people that have really helped me see that and be believable. I've heard it, but that's nice. I'm not going to believe it because somebody says it. I want, to, I want to understand it. I want to experience this. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And sometimes people come alongside you and are your comforter. God has put them there for you. Listen to the voices of encouragement. Listen to the wisdom that may come from them. It's for your good. And I believe our Heavenly Father does that through us. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I like feasts. You had me at food. <laughs> oh, man. But this one's good. One illustration I heard of how this can work is the sheep sometimes don't always make it back to home base. Sometimes they have to travel to where there isn't dried grass and they find lush grass, but it's, it's going to be a couple-day trip. And so sometimes the shepherd has to cook right in the middle of the field. And sometimes when the fire is raging, you can almost see the eyes from the fire rippling the eyeballs of the animals that want to come kill and attack, but they won't come near. And there he is, preparing a feast right in the middle of the enemies. 
in the middle of your trauma, in the middle of your difficulties. You may not see it now, but I pray that in hindsight you'll see 2020. God has been there, is there, and will be there in all these things. He's not absent from your journey and your trouble, your frustration. It may seem like, I got no hope right now. Well, your hope is a person, not a circumstance. And we screw that up all the time. Your circumstances are not your hope. It can feel good, and I, we look forward to great circumstances, but that cannot be your measuring rod. No pun intended. If you just got that, sorry. Rod cider. <laughs> I'll stop. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. It took me a long time to see a couple lenses on this because I grew up in a Baptist church and when they anointed you with oil, it's like a little dab. Can't see it, put a light on it, see it, put it on. That kind of a, if you get that, that was funny. But anyway, um, the idea of a dab and we usually, we carry a little vial of oil around, we anoint people and we call that anointing. And the shepherd does that. Why and when? Well, oil is a type of healing ointment. So remember how dumb sheep are? And how skittish they can get, and they get their heads caught and bodies scratched up and all kinds of stuff. So they get pokes and small bleeds and all that. The shepherd will take oil and, and dab those places that need the immediate attention. But there's an even more beautiful story. And I think this is tied into even with our mental health and those that are in agony. Sheep have these bugs that burrow into their head between their ears. I know it's gross, but too bad. It's really important you caught this. There's a there's even stories of sheep almost kind of butting their heads and basically killing themselves because they're trying to get away from all the pain because these, these insects are just so invasive. But a shepherd knows this. And the anointing my head with oil has a whole new meaning now. And that shepherd will pour oil all over and drain, like just drench that sheep's head with oil and suddenly... It's like a hot, sweaty day, and you jump in a pool and go, ah, that kind of thing, for the few that can do that. But anyway, that's the relief. Do you have agonies that are burrowing in your mind, that are, your thinking is just, you can't stop the patterns? Pray that God's oil of peace will pour over you, even if it's for a short time. You may recognize that oil's been there all your awareness of it is critical. <laughs> my cup overflows with blessings. The traditional wording says my cup overflows. With what? With blessings. I love this translation for that. Recognize all that you have. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Well, I know what following his love will, or what's, what's the traditional one that says, your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How many of you ever walked your kids to school? Okay. How many have hit the age where the kids want to go on their own and you, you, know, you got to be back a little bit and you follow them? And then they get really anointed that you don't follow me. They want their independence. That's what I hear when I see that old translation of follow me. Well, I don't always like being followed, you know. But pursue? 
That is what agape is, love. You are being pursued constantly by the love of God, a good intention. We cannot forget that. That's what Christmas is about. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I got a few other verses that I want to get into. Um, I'll just do this one, and then we'll do the video, okay? Philippians 2.7, his mission, however, was not to prove his deity, but to embrace our humanity. Emptied of his reputation as God, he fully embraced our physical human form. Born in our resemblance, he identified himself as the servant of the human race. His love enslaved him to us. Actually, I'm going to do the last one as well. Um, because David Bentley Hart does a really good job putting some notes in this. This is where the verse of Jesus emptied himself. But instead, emptied himself, taking a slave's form, coming to be in the likeness of human beings and being found as a human being in shape. Now, the emptied himself, this is about impoverished himself or divested himself. It did not mean he, didn't, he lost his divinity. He chose not to live out of that. That's what's really important. Jesus didn't separate himself from God. That is an impossibility. But he chose not to, not to live out of his divinity, but rather out of his humanity. And I love this other part, this form, the outward aspect, as opposed to inward reality. And this is how he lived. I love this next video clip that kind of ties that together. And the kenosis, the kenosis is the Greek word that we're dealing with. But let's wrap up with this video. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Where does the creator of the universe send his son? Where does the prince of peace make his entrance? A barn, a stable, a a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this was no ordinary king. A savior is born in a stable. So there are animals and uh, animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for a human, much less the king of kings. So why, why would he do that? Because the shepherd was coming to care for his sheep, to make a way for his sheep. And, and that's what shepherds do. They live where the sheep are, they eat where they eat, and they sleep where they sleep. And this will be a sign to you you will find the babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You ever thought about that sign? Sign for what? Maybe it is a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. Maybe it's a sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person, that God will have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. Either way, it's a sign for all of us 
to go and do likewise. You see, later, Paul would write these words, that you should have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, who, being in the nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He made himself nothing, becoming a servant, coming in human likeness. The creator, who had been served since before the dawn of time, stepped out of heaven to become a servant. Who does that? The God who's laid in a manger, a messy feeding trough. Yeah, why such a messy place? Because he came to save messy people. So that first Christmas was dirty, grimy, filthy. <laughs> it was messy. But thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be in. Did you catch Jesus coming as a servant to serve, not to get a reputation, to build a ministry, to create a profile, to run ads, to get notoriety? He came as a servant. And what is the greatest servant role that we see in Scripture? taking care of sheep when they don't even say thank you. All they say is, bleh. <laughs> Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, will you wake us up to your presence in us, especially when we feel like our mind Something's burrowing into it. And we're at dis-ease. The word saved is sozo, meaning healed. Father, we are still being healed of so much. Even though we are healed, we're being healed and will be fully healed, however that works. Today, in your tender kindness of never abandoning us nor leaving us, but walking beside us in the middle of dark valleys, there you are. For those of us who cannot perceive you, will you make yourself known in a way that is extremely personal? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.